Welcome to the Dubai College Wellbeing Podcast. We are your hosts, the school counselors here at DC. This podcast is all about mental health. I am Sandra Gorman. I am Michelle Estacanchi. And I am Alison Kate. Today, we are delighted to introduce our speaker, Florence Gillett. Florence is a certified eating psychology coach and a health at every size practitioner. She helps chronic dieters reclaim their freedom of body and mind in order to model self-acceptance and body positive values to their children. Florence also acts as the communications manager of the Middle East Eating Disorders Association, or MEDA, an NGO dedicated to raising awareness of eating disorders in the region. Welcome, Florence. It's so lovely to have you here today. Is there anything else that you would like to add about yourselves for our speakers to know? That I'm just very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming. We're going to start uh, with the idea of body image. Um, And we wondered if you could just let us know the basic of what is body image and why is it so crucial for our children's well-being? Sure. So body image is really the way that we perceive our body. Um, We seem to think that it has something to do with the way we look from the outside, Um, but it's really about how we perceive ourselves more than how we look. So it's mostly in our brain, not so much in our fat cells, (laughs) which is something we use a lot at Mida. Um, it's body images, um, has four different parts. There's the perception that we have. There's the thoughts that we can have around our bodies, Mm -hmm. um, the emotions and the feelings, Mm -hmm. but it's also the behaviors that we're going to put in place to respond to how we feel and perceive our body. Um, We know that body image is the number one factor affecting our Mm self-confidence. And as such, that's why it's so important for our kids growing up to nurture a body image that can be as positive as possible. Uh, Why? Because we know um, that body dissatisfaction, so not feeling happy about our bodies, is creating a lot of issues uh, physically and mentally. So to give you an example, we know that teenage girls today, about half of them will engage into weight control management behaviors that are not healthy. And so this usually stems from body dissatisfaction. So because of that body dissatisfaction, they may engage into taking diet pills, into fasting, Mm -hmm. into purging, into taking laxatives. And all of that comes, all those behaviors come directly from the fact that they're not satisfied with the way their bodies look. Mm -hmm. So since we know it's in the head more than in the body, in the way the body actually looks, we can really work on creating a more positive body image to avoid these behaviors happening and affecting the health of the youth mm. around us. Mm. Thank you. Um, Florence, um, I'm sure there's hundreds of factors that affect um, a child's body image. What do you think, like, the number one or the most or the biggest factor that affects a child's body image? So what we see is that it's really the body image of the parents that makes the biggest impact. Um, it's, a bit, it's about everything around parenting. It's not what you say, it's actually mm-hmm. what you do that mm-hmm. your kids will model. 
and we know that body dissatisfaction in mothers specifically has been studied, uh, can create body dissatisfaction in their children as early as five years old. So it's really, really, it can, you know, by the time they become teenagers, it could have been years that they live with that uh, image of body dissatisfaction and that they model that. So the first thing that I usually try and tell parents to do if they want to create positive body image in their children is really to be able to be more at ease with their bodies, which is not always easy. And, you know, myself have been struggling with that for most of my life until I was probably 35 and then decided to do something about it. And what my decision, really what made this decision for me was to see that it had an impact on my children. And they were quite small at the time, they were four and five. So they had already noticed that I was not eating the same as them, that I was not moving the same way that I had this urge to do a certain amount of things around food and exercise in my body. And that really concerned me. I could see that I was creating another cycle mm-hmm. um, of dissatisfaction. So what I would say for parents listening today is uh, one of the things that they can do is really work on their own body image, mm-hmm. accepting their body exactly as it is. Avoiding dieting is a big one. Dieting is super normalized in our society as something healthy, quote unquote. The reality is it's not evidence-based to be a healthy behavior because what happens is that we know that most of the dieting attempts end up in weight gain rather than weight loss long-term. But also it destroys a little bit the trust we have in our bodies and how we can respond to its needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And that over time actually creates more body dissatisfaction. Um, So dieting, if you can avoid dieting, restricting, restraining, sometimes, you know, we see this difference between restriction and restraining, which can be more mental. It's kind of, I eat the food, but while I eat it, I say I shouldn't eat this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That has an impact also on how we feel. Um, It's really seeing movement for well-being rather than to achieve a certain aesthetic body or a certain weight and size. Um, And it's avoiding comments on food and on bodies, whether it's your body as a parent uh, or your child's body or anyone's body that you might be commenting Mm -hmm. about. It would be much better to try and avoid that. And it's not easy. It's really ingrained in Mm -hmm. us to make that comment. Even when we see friends, we will say, oh my God, you look great, you know. You could change that and try to change it into, oh, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy we're together. I haven't seen you in a long time. Mm. But it's a bit of a conscious way of doing things that I think parents can really have a big impact on their children's body image by doing that. Very interesting, and I think, like you say, it's that self-awareness for for all adults, because I guess we've been conditioned for a lot longer than our teenagers have. Um, So huge self-awareness for the adults, and then then when we're when we're looking at our teenagers what are the the red flags that we need to be looking out for that um show potential eating disorders so um red flags 
they are quite wide. Um, there's obviously a certain obsession with weight, um, a certain obsession with food, eating some food or avoiding some foods. Um, it could be also about uh, really having to exercise in a certain way, feeling really horrible when they can't exercise at a certain mm. time with certain intensity or how long. Or, um, and then it can also differ uh, by gender. So girls might have a little bit more of an, a kind of outlook on getting thinner or changing their bodies to basically shrink, while boys might want to become more muscular mm -hmm. and really grow muscle, but becoming very lean, which by itself is a contradiction. Uh, because if you want to build muscle, you actually eat, need to eat a lot and all of, you know, making sure that you bulk up. But then staying lean means that you want to avoid some food. So maybe becoming quite picky with what they eat, when they eat it. Um, obviously, you know, at a further stage, like anything with vomiting or um, extreme anxiety around the body, um, moralizing some types of foods. These are the, you know, I think parents feel when something is mm -hmm. off. And the main thing that I would say is don't put off consulting mm. a specialist at that time. And I'm thinking of someone who is specialized in eating disorders. Even if you think it's not that bad or they don't, you know, they're not doing horrible behaviors yet, mm -hmm. don't wait because it's usually not a phase. Mm -hmm. It really needs to be addressed. And the earlier you address those signs, uh, the earlier you can really, the better the results also. Mm -hmm. And as usual with children or teenagers, any weight loss should be a red flag, uh, no matter what the weight is. So if your child is considered to be in a larger body and they lose weight, in teenage years, it's still not really what we would like to see mm -hmm. because kids are growing, they're changing, they're building a lot of the basic framework for their bodies like bone density happens when you're young so losing weight is always a little bit of a concern uh, for doctors and therapists um, seeing this happen in, in teenage years mm. talking about teenage years for instance um, you know we have parents who come in and they say well you know when my child was younger it was just so much easier to decide for them what they were going to eat so if there was a concern um oh you know i see them eating a lot of sugary things or um or not enough of this they could then make sure that that was addressed but we are dealing with teenagers and so parents feel maybe less uh, equipped to know how to influence their children in what they're eating and if you've got any tips around that to help them to know um how they can support their child not to under eat or overeat um to Yes, of course. The first thing that I would recommend parents to look into when it comes to that is um, the work of Dr. Ellen Satter. Um, so she's a psychotherapist and a dietitian, and she's done a lot of work around a topic called eating competence. Mm. And that's really what parents should try to set up for their children, especially in teenage years. It's building that trust with boundaries that will allow for the child to make good decisions when they're alone as well as when mm -hmm. they're with the parents. What do I mean by that? 
it's going to be less about controlling at that meal he had some vegetables or at that meal like I made sure that this and that it's going to be about eating competence long term mm -hmm. so it's going to be about how do I teach my child to be able to make those choices as they're growing up and spending more and more time without their parents making those meals or eating out and all of that so um, one of the things that I like to say to parents is forget about the meals you can't be at mm -hmm. or control. Mm -hmm. Let them pick. Don't come back and say like, I'm sure you had the bad choice, right? As I said before, we don't want to comment on food saying it's bad or good, it's junk. No food is junk really because it's still energy that goes into the body. Um, I'm not encouraging kids to go and eat at McDonald's every day, but I don't like the term junk because I feel like it still makes it like it's really trash that we put in our bodies and I don't believe it is. It will happen that our kids go and have fast foods, especially in teenage years. I mean, it's super cheap and it's super convenient and they like to hang out there. So forget about the meals that you can't control. What you can control is to have the meals at home you still decide what goes on the table and you make them as pleasant as possible for your teenager. What is fascinating about family meals is that there's studies out there that show that kids who have got even just twice a week a family meal where they sit down with their parents, everybody eats the same, there's a pleasant atmosphere around the table, they not only do better nutritionally and health-wise, but they do better academically. And that to me was when I read that, I was like, wow, this is incredible. But these are kids that are also less likely to go into trying alcohol or smoking or drugs because they feel safe and protected by their family. This is the time you have around food to connect with your teenagers as well. So I would say invest time to be with them at meal time. I know this is hard. I know a lot of people work really, really hard here in Dubai. But even if it's at the weekend, even if it's one night in the, in the week that you can do that, sit down with them. This is when you can control what goes on the table as well. Let them eat. Don't comment about you you take more of the pasta and less of that. No, make it a safe space, have nice conversations with them. And then I would still, you know, encourage those parents who are concerned about weight uh, in their teenagers um, to really try to organize movement as a family again. So organizing ways to move their bodies, in a way that is not about aesthetic, mm -hmm. but it's really kind of part of a family activity mm -hmm. that they're gonna do. Um, and again, you know, realizing that health is a lot wider than just weight mm -hmm. and size. Uh, but maybe this is another topic because it's, it's a deeper conversation. <laughs> I don't know if you're ready to have that. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, what if I feel okay with my child's weight, um, but my child, doesn't feel okay or they're saying I feel fat I don't like how I look or you can just sense that they're not happy with their their bodies how do I support them react to that what conversations to have how as a parent can I do my best when they feel that way I know it's so hard right when it happens it definitely happens we might my, my kids are only 10 and 11 
but I've had those conversations. Um, my son actually broke his ankle and spent a good four months away from sports. And he was really into sports. And that, <laughs> I'll start it again so you can edit it. So my son broke his ankle, had a few months away from sports, although he's really into it. So his, his body changed a little bit due to the inactivity. Um, and it, it came up, the idea of like, I feel fat. Um, I feel not well in my body. I don't feel strong. I feel, and we had this conversation when that shows up to me, I always try to think of what hides behind the term fat because mm. fat is not really an emotion. Um, and to come at it without judgment, uh, because I think the natural tendency that we will have is to say, but no, you're not fat, mm. but you're beautiful. Come on. What are you talking about? Mm. But that implies, what does that imply? That if you're fat, you're not. That if you're fat, yeah. it's a negative. Mm -hmm. It's really bad. We really want to stay away from that. Because the reality is, body size is not something we can control 100%. Um, it depends on a multitude of factors, including genetics, including the environment we live in, including the conditions in which healthcare comes into place, including sleep, including social media, including pressure, stress. Uh, body dissatisfaction that can happen around us, mental health, we've seen during the mm -hmm. pandemic how hard it is to stay balanced when our mental health is suffering. So when your kid comes to you and says, I feel fat, I feel horrible, I hate my body, it's to really first sit down with them and say, oh, I really hear you. This is, you're really, this is tough, mm -hmm. right? You're really going through a, something difficult. And tell me more about it. What's, what's really going on? Because we both know fat is not really an emotion, but I, I'm here, I want to listen, I want to be there to listen to you. Um, so when my child comes to me and says, I feel fat, I think one of the things that I would recommend is to really first sit down and really acknowledge that they're struggling, that this is not, it's obviously not a pleasant thing they're going through when they say those things but it's to dig a bit deeper and to really try to understand, are they overwhelmed? If they felt maybe embarrassed by something, are they struggling with relationships around them? Has somebody made a comment? Um, if they felt out of sorts with work, uh, schoolwork or, pressure they might experience, really trying to be present and really listening, listening more than addressing. The reality is if your child feels like that, you're not going to be able to fix it mm. because you can't fix emotions. Um, and I think it's important to allow these difficult emotions and really let them see that you can't fix, but you can sit next to them while they experience it and they can get through and on the other side they will realize that it really doesn't have much to do with their bodies because that's the other thing you don't want them to realize that their body is really the problem here most likely if they come with the i feel fat it's not the body that is at fault mm -hmm. it's that there's a bit of an emotional regulation that needs to take place or maybe deeper issues to look into obviously but that are more on an emotional level than a physical level mm -hmm. would that make sense mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely okay so we're hearing that it's really important that our language 
um, the language we use and again back to that awareness of the language that we're using and maybe not saying this food is good or bad but would saying healthy and unhealthy is that a better language to use or have you got even better language that we can look at um, rather than just good or bad because I think it's really important definitely um, I mean the issue with good and bad is that there's no morality in food mm -hmm. and it's all about balance with food right um, I was one of those people who was eating extremely clean quote-unquote which is another term that I don't like because clean food I mean I don't wash my food so but I was eating only you know the stuff that was not uh, processed mm -hmm. and uh, natural and lots of vegetables and lots of fruit and that was the time of my life that was probably the sickest mm -hmm. I was suffering from orthorexia which is this obsession unhealthy obsession with eating healthy mm -hmm. Um, so what I would like to say, you know, to children and to parents is that if you only eat broccoli, you're not going to be better in your body and feel good and nurture your body than if you only eat fast food. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I find we lose a little bit in the mm -hmm. good and bad and healthy and unhealthy. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm not a big fan of healthy and unhealthy either is again because I think health is a lot wider than the food we put in our bodies and the way we exercise. It's To me, it's always related to that. The, the narrative out there is if you want to be healthy, you have to eat well and exercise. But health is also, as I said before, genetics. The There's a lot of social determinants of health that we never talk about that are actually talked about by the World Health Organization mm -hmm. at length. If you type social determinants of health, mm -hmm. you're going to find out what those are. It is access to healthcare, um, having uh, safe, clean water to drink, um, having a home that is also, uh, you know, clean and safe to be in, that is not full of, um, you know, fungi and all of these things that can also leak into your body. Um, it's having food security, being able to eat, you know, as much as you can every day. Um, it, all of those things play a role in our health. So when we say this food is healthy or unhealthy, I think it's just too reductive. Mm -hmm. We can't use that. But also it can create a lot of anxiety in some kids that tend to have perfectionistic tendencies like I used to. Uh, I still have them. I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> um, but so when you if you tell them chocolate is really unhealthy for you they might completely take that out of their diet and this is when you know you start a bit of a dangerous you go into a dangerous rabbit hole um a little bit of chocolate really is not unhealthy uh it, not having it completely and obsessing over what you eat is more unhealthy than having a bit of chocolate so you see how it's I wouldn't use those terms. What I like to use when I describe food, you know, to my children is I like to use the term fun foods when they go out a lot and they have maybe more of the fast food or pizzas and stuff is, you know, at some point I will say, hey, we've had a lot of fun foods. So tonight we're going to eat at home and I'm going to prepare this meal. And, you know, maybe if they say, no, I don't want that. I can say, well, you know, this is really also nutritious food that we need to have to function well. But it, I find that it dispels a little bit of the anxiety and it also shows that fun foods have a, a place in our diets. Mm -hmm. um, 
really a balanced diet is the most important. It's not about healthy or unhealthy. Um, does mm. that answer mm. your question? Absolutely. So Florence, um, I think there's a growing understanding that restrictive eating and under eating is not healthy for mm-hmm. us. But isn't it true to say that being overweight would be bad for you because there's just so much uh, emphasis on that um, from a medical perspective and etc etc that being overweight is bad so how would you respond to that okay so I'm a health exercise practitioner Uh, I'm definitely anti-diet and I believe in the diversity of bodies so this is my stance I understand not everybody will go along with that but just my point is when we say overweight what weight are we talking about when we say over or under Mm -hmm. it mostly refers to one type of measurement would you guess what that is well (laughs) i think it's very often a a perception because when we look at a child we may say oh their size Mm -hmm. you know they they um it's it's because we don't know how much the child weighs necessarily so it's how they look we may go oh they overweight um you know unless we have access to a bmi chart or a growth chart we wouldn't necessarily know that so i suppose it's based on our perception of what overweight looks like absolutely and you mentioned bmi uh medically when we talk about over or under or normal weight it will refer to bmi i don't know if you're aware of the way bmi was created or when it was created this is a tool that was created in 1832 so it's almost 200 years old it was created in Belgium. I'm from Belgium, it's quite funny. I don't have anything to do with it, obviously. Um, by a statistician. It's a guy who decided we're gonna line up men. He chose only Belgian men, so it's white men only. We're gonna take their measurements and we're gonna create a bell curve of the population. At the time when he creates the BMI, he says it should never be used individually. It is only to be used at the level of the population to create that bell curve. Most of the population will be within a certain range and then there will be extreme that are outside of the range. And it should never be used to define whether someone is healthy or unhealthy. This is in 1832. You can imagine the world has changed quite a bit. And you can see when you look at the ratio of BMI that it's just the height and the weight. It doesn't take into consideration gender. It's actually based on just white male data as well, so it's not representative. It doesn't take into consideration uh, muscle, bone density, percentage of fat. It really is not representative of gender, of age. Um, So I personally don't like overweight, underweight, Obesity is not a word that I use because I find it's pathologizing Mm -hmm. to say someone is in a sick body because they're just in a larger body. We know that there is body diversity in the world. Now, what does that mean for a parent who really is concerned about their child's weight or sees their child's weight, you know, going up or sees that their child maybe um, eats a lot of food or maybe hides the way they eat. I totally understand this is really concerning. But the first thing to look at is not specifically the weight, it's more the behaviors. 
um, is to understand what is happening in this child's life. And going back to Dr. Ellen Satter, she has an amazing book called Your Child's Weight mm -hmm. that I would highly recommend to parents who have these questions, where she really explains the link between, you know, weight and growth, mm -hmm. where she explains that for a lot of kids that gain a lot of weight really quickly, it's always related to some sort of dysregulation, whether it's com coming to the feeding side of things or the parenting side of things or how well they feel mm. as a whole physically mm. mentally so i think we really have to look at this in a much broader view and not just at the weight weight, mm. weight point of things um, because there are definitely things we can do to address it but ultimately i would like parents to also realize there is going to be diversity mm -hmm. and maybe their children will be larger than that, what they had expected. But the goal here is to show unconditional love and acceptance, mm -hmm. no matter what, and to support our children. If we start saying to our kids, you're really overweight, I need you to do something about it, or we need to, to do something about it. What are we ultimately saying? We're saying you're good, not good enough. Mm -hmm in the body you have mm. and this we know it has been shown time and time and time again this is trauma mm. this is weight oppression mm -hmm. and you know what the worst impact of weight trauma or weight bias or weight stigma is that people go into more eating mm -hmm. they will go into more eating disorders mm -hmm. they will go into horrible weight control mm -hmm. behaviors they will try so bad to come out of it and it usually is getting to worse implications mm -hmm. so if you're not sure what to do, it's always good to consult someone who has expertise in eating disorders, even if it's waiting, weight gain, mm -hmm. gaining weight. Go to a dietitian if you want to, but get someone who knows eating disorders because they might find out that your child is struggling some way and that it's actually gaining weight, but it's still a sign of something is kind of not quite right and really be conscious of always keeping the relationship safe between mm -hmm. you and your child. Um, I wonder like even as a parent, if we feel that we're doing really well at um, being accepting, loving and encouraging of our children's body. And then we have all the social media around us that has like really powerful, um, influence on our teens and often shares unrealistic and dangerous behaviors it's really hard to deal with and yeah. what can parents do when they're faced with all these messages that are just really out of their control but prevalent yeah totally um so i think it's going to be about boundaries again uh we all know it's going to be impossible to shield our children completely from social media it doesn't it doesn't make sense. We can probably try and delay it, delay access to social media as much as possible. Once they have access, I would say, let's put boundaries in place. For example, we talked about family meals earlier. Family meals should really be a time where no one around the table has access to their phones, where they can really focus on the moment. Um, is setting boundaries about when they use their phones, maybe setting boundaries about which apps they're allowed to put on their phones as well. And then once they have that access, it's about really developing their critical sense. Mm -hmm. 
so that they don't take for granted everything that they see on social media and they're able to say i see this but i know it's probably untrue mm -hmm. unreal um and i can look at it with a bit of distance mm -hmm. um i encourage parents to sit with their children and look at social media together um interest themselves into hey what are you, who are you following like what are they talking about this is extremely hard to do by the way <laughs> without judgment because i've done that with you know my kids are young they don't have access to social media but they look at youtube right so sometimes i will sit with them and watch youtube with them the amount of stuff that they watch that i find completely ridiculous but it's really going at it in, from a non-judgmental point of view, maybe making it about laughing a little bit about it. Hey, have you noticed? Like, this is really weird. Like, look at this person. What are they doing? Would you ever do that? Like, does this happen in real life? They have time to do this? You, you know, taking it from a non-judgmental perspective, but where you can add a bit of distance between what they see and what will apply to them. I would encourage parents also if they see that a lot of the the child's feed is really, you know, this unattainable idea of beauty to try and diversify their feed. Um, it's again been studied that the more diverse bodies we see, the better we feel in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the algorithm of social media pushes to us this unrealistic beauty ideal. Um, so really concretely looking for people that live in larger bodies and mm -hmm. disabled bodies mm -hmm. and um, all sorts of um, racial backgrounds, you know. Um, there's so many people now online who live in larger bodies and are athletes, mm -hmm. are runners, are yoga teachers. Mm -hmm. We need to see these people because tradition in traditional media we have not seen them and we know the effect it can have. So with social media, there's a silver lining is that you can tailor your feed. And so you want to really customize it to see a wider diversity. That's what I would start with. Great. Florence, this has been amazing. We hope all our listeners have enjoyed this really informative and practical podcast. Thank you. Thank you very, very much for coming in today. And could you just let people know how they can connect with you? Yes, of course. So thank you so much for having me. Um, I uh, People can find me on beyondbodyimage.com. So it's all attached. Um, and there they can have access to, uh, you know, if they want to book a 30-minute consult. This is usually where I start. I help parents if they really are struggling. Um, or I redirect them to another professional if they don't really know where to go. Um, I also have podcasts. Uh, I edit two different podcasts, one for the Middle East Teaching Disorder Association, where they can, uh, they can also go. Um, they will find uh, resources if they want to diversify their social media feed. They can look at it. They, can, they will find books and documentaries and stuff that they can watch with their kids or you know, talking about all sorts of issues around the body, sometimes also talking about sex education. This is all part of it as well. Um, so this is all on beyondbodyimage.com. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you to you, our listeners, for taking time out of your day to join in our discussion about mental health. If you want to hear more, 
please stay tuned for our next Dubai College Wellbeing Podcast. And if no one has told you today, know that you are enough.